Okay, so tonight we're going to be continuing with our series of Shirim on the 10th Svirod. But instead of focusing on the first Svirod, which is Keser, identified with the will or desire and pleasure, as we spoke about at the end of last week's Shir, I decided that it was Kedai, that it was significant to spend a little bit more time this week further introducing the Sviros or the concept of the 10 Sviros, so that when we enter into the particularized sugyos of each and every sphera, as it is expressed within the lived experience or the phenomenological livedness of each and every human being, we would have a very clear parameter of exactly what we're talking about and more importantly, what we're not talking about. So in order to properly understand the Esser Sviros as they apply to the human experience and the human condition, there are a number of hakdamos that I would like to try and discuss tonight in preparation for the shirim on the spheros themselves. Now, first and foremost, last week, our main goal was to describe what the Esser spheros are in their ontological sense, meaning to say how the Esser spheros represent this hybridity between essence and inessential qualities of godliness for the sake of the creation of the universe, or the creation of existence. And we utilize the teachings of the Ramak in Pardes Rimonim, in Shardalid, Shar'atzmus Vikelim, where there was a fundamental discussion as to the nature of the spheros, whether there were essential qualities of godliness, or simply instruments of the divine in order to manifest creation. And through the Ramak and through the interpretation of the Tzemach Tzedek, as well as the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, in his essay on the Pesach Eliyahu, the Chelek from Tikkune Zohar, that is attributed to Eliyahu Anavi that discusses the Esser Sviros, we came to this hybrid space, liminal space, where the Sviros are neither etzem, they're neither essence or inessential instruments, but rather they are a unique combination where they are tools or vessels through which HaKadosh Baruch Hu is capable of disclosing his essence, so that the Esser Sviros, the manifoldness that we discuss in the number 10, Eser v'lo echad esrei, 10 and not 11, like the Sefer Yitzhiro says, Eser v'lo teisha, 10 and not 9, are not an abdication of the unity of godliness, but rather they are a full manifestation of that unity of divinity in and within creation itself. Now the question is, how does this apply to the human being? Now, we ended last week's class with discussing the interpretation of the Pasuk in Eov through the Baal Shem Tov and his students of Mibisari Echaze Eloikai, that from my own flesh, from my own lived experience, from my own chisaron, from what it means to be a human being, I can come and grasp divinity. That's what the focus of this year is going to be about. How is it that the human being, the Krutza of Chaymer, this lowly creation that experiences anxiety and brokenness and death, and frustration, and sin, and transgression, how is it that the human being can be considered, at least according to Mtimiya Satora, the essential quality of this worldliness, to the point that we represent within ourselves the Esser Sviros, to the point that, as we saw in the Shlaha Kadosh, we are a reflection of sorts, we are a mirror image of the ten strengths of the ten potencies that God used, so to speak, in order to create the world. Now, this is where the shirim that we've given on Rav Kook and the Leshem, and in particular the shirim on addiction, are going to be bridged into the series of shirim on the Esther Sviros. Because it is not accidental that the human being is the full representation of the Esther Sviros, but rather it is specifically the human being. It is specifically the individual who finds themselves in this worldliness, finds themselves within the stuckness of the Choshech HaKafuL Mechupol, the darkness that is doubled and redoubled upon itself to the point that even when I descend into the initial darkness in hopes of finding light and clarity, I come upon a further deeper layer of darkness to the point that it is so easy for an individual to lose hope. And it is only when a person pushes themselves to penetrate within this double layer of darkness between the, into the choshech hakafu chupal that we're capable of disclosing light and unity. It's specifically we as human beings that serve as the vehicles of the light of the Esther Spiros, so the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world itself. As we've said numerous times in the name of Rabbi Nachman, this is not some accidental secondary response to a mistake, but rather this is the primary mode of the expression of unity in the world, that it is specifically with human beings, 
with all of their chesronos and all of their mailos, with all of our struggles and suffering and difficulty, it is specifically us who are capable of disclosing the potency of these vehicles, these esersviros. And this is what we mean, this is what the Torah means when it says that the individual is created b'tselem elokim, b'tselem and edmos, in the image of God, so to speak. That the human being themselves, both in their physical makeup and more importantly in their psychological or psychic makeup, is in essence comprised of the same ten potencies, the same ten strengths, the same eser spheros that HaKadosh Baruch Hu utilizes in order to create the world. Which means to say that the human being contains within themselves the capacity to not only mimic the behaviors of divinity, to not only act in accordance to these Esther Spheros, like we discussed last week, but rather that the mensch themselves, the individual themselves, is a reflection or a vehicle through which godliness can be disclosed within this world. And that this is not simply some secondary aspect of divinity, but rather the disclosure of the light of godliness, the disclosure of unity within the realms of disunity and duality and duplicity and suffering and all of the manifold adjectives and nouns that we can use to describe human condition, each and every person according to their own heart, that Levio Dea Maris Nafsho, it is specifically down here with the possibility of failure, with the possibility of concealment, with the possibility of doubt, that we have the capacity of disclosing the fact that we are comprised of the same material, of the same expressions that HaKadosh Baruch Hu utilized Kavyachal to create this world. Now, Bin Achman of Breslov describes this in a very potent way. In the 22nd teaching in Lukutim Maharan, in the fifth part of the teaching, Rabbi Nachman says as follows, The individual must be compassionate to the flesh of their bodies. Now the flesh of the body here comes to represent not simply our embodied forms, but rather all that is entailed in creaturely existence. The fact that we are creatures, the fact that we are created, the fact that we are in need, the fact that we lack, the fact that we desire and we hunger and we thirst, and the fact that in spite of our best interests, we must be engaged with the confines of physicality in all of their gross and material forms, Rabbi Nachman says a person must be sure to be compassionate to the flesh of their guf, to be compassionate to that which makes us human. To ensure that the body and embodied experience and the lowly experience of the human being in this world with all of our creaturely aspects, we must ensure that we are capable of tasting the spiritual enlightenment that the neshama is capable of grasping. Again, the neshama here is representative of divine spirituality, of the essential realms of existence where things are in their idealized state, and have not yet fallen into the realized experience of brokenness and shattered experience, we must ensure that the ideal of spirituality expresses itself also in the realistic experience of the flesh and the creaturely experience of being a human being. Shahaguf gamkein yeda mizosa saga, that the body and that living within this worldliness with all of its materiality must also be engaged with the experience of spiritual sustenance. The Bechinas, in the aspect of what the Pasuk in Yeshaya describes as mi besrecha loitis alim, do not conceal yourself from your own flesh. Meaning to say, do not allow spirituality and idealism to remain stuck in the spiritual realms of the idealistic experience of this world, but rather we must ensure that the ideal breaks through the boundary between ideal and reality, and that the ideal must penetrate and descend into the brokenness of reality so that the lived experience where things are no longer ideal, where things are constricted and concealed and broken and dark, we may also taste of that idealistic spiritual potency of the neshama. Umi basracha daika, says Rabbi Nachman, specifically from your flesh. It's specifically in our lived human state, in our bodily form, in our creaturely form, which contains within itself much more than just the physical necessities of the body, but rather everything that comes along with being human, the vicissitudes of being human, the struggle of being human. The fact that as human beings we are uniquely aware of our ultimate demise or aware of our own mortality and the anxiety that is born out of that and the anxiety that we experience in each and every minute with the realization that this moment will not last 
in all of which constitutes us being human, we must ensure that our spiritual potencies, that the light of the Esosviros descends specifically there. That you make sure not to forget to have compassion on your body, not to forget that spirituality, if it's going to mean anything, if the light of the divine is going to mean anything, it must mean that it penetrates down even into the realm of physicality. Your humanity, you being a human being. Because we must have compassion on the body. Because like we said, the body is found within the realm of duality, of necessity, of difficulty, of pain, of falling away, of death, and all of the things that make being human so difficult. And to ensure that our job is not only to ignore the physical for the sake of the spiritual, but rather to ensure that the spiritual is only purpose is to clarify, rectify, and elevate the physical. That we must mutter and converse with our bodies and ensure that our bodies become aware of all of the spiritual gifts that our neshamos are capable of experiencing. Meaning to say that we must ensure that the realms of divinity, the realms of spirituality, not only remain transcendent in their transcendental space, but rather they must descend into the broken and dark, heavy, imminent plane wherein we experience the day-to-day experiences of being alive. There too we must disclose spirituality. Because the neshama of the person, the idealized form of the person, the deepest part of the unconscious of the individual, contains that contains that spark of divinity that animates all experience. And if it only remains stuck in the realm of spirituality, then our bodies and our physicalized and creaturely forms are negated from that realm of spirituality. But the body and what it means to be a human being has no idea, it's ignorant to the light of spirituality. Each person must be compassionate to their body, must be compassionate to that which makes them human, must be compassionate to their chisaron, must be compassionate to the pockets of energy where they feel most human and most vulnerable. To specifically show the light of spirituality there. To the point that the neshama is capable of conveying to the guf, conveying to what it means to be a human being, all that is true in the realms of spirituality. And when the guf, when our bodies, when our human forms, when our creaturely experience of what it means to be stuck in a world of duality, where everything seems to move towards the side of negativity, with all of the vicissitudes of our own particularized experience, whether it be anxiety or depression or brokenheartedness or desires that are left unanswered, or simply the boredom of being alive, that is specifically where we must ensure that the light of spirituality descends. And at that point, it's not enough that we say now that the guf also has kedusha, but now we experience the essence of kedusha, v'hitova lahanashama. And at that point, when we're capable of showing that the guf itself, that the human experience, that the creaturely livedness that we experience in day-to-day life also tastes from spirituality, at that point, there's something that transvaluates the entire system and it shows that in truth, the body and the creaturely forms and the brokenness and the constriction and the concealment and the duality and the hiddenness and all of the broken things that we have in each of our lives, that shows that that is the full expression of Kedusha. The fullest expression of spirituality is specifically when the Adam when the Adam themselves, when the human being themselves is capable of becoming a vehicle to Kedusha. Because like we've been saying from the beginning in the Shirim of Rav Kook, it's one thing for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's one thing for spirituality to show itself in the supernal realms of unity. It's another thing that the supernal realms of unity have the capacity of descending into the broken material planes of physicality to show and disclose that even in duality, that even in darkness, that even in brokenness, and even in the anxiety that surrounds daily living, that is specifically where we have the capacity to disclose the great light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is the Yichud, which is the light of unity that shows that the beginning and the middle and the end, in spite of their disparate parts, in spite of the broken rhythm that appears to be devoid of narrative and meaningless, 
is in truth part and parcel of the same Hanhaga Sayichud, as the Ramcha would say, the same plan of the divine mind, so to speak, that originated in the unfathomable will, like we spoke about last week, in Kacha, of the Keser Kolaksarim, of Kacha Yeyasele Ish, that is disclosed specifically on Purim, the day of the Hippoch, it's specifically in the bottom that we're capable of disclosing the loftiest levels. And for this reason, the Adam, the name human, or what it means to be a human being, has two apparently disparate and separate definitions, which based on what we're trying to say, can be unified in a third one that stands on top of them. Chazal famously say that the Adam is called Adam, that the human being is referred to as Adam, because the human being must always recognize themselves as being stuck in a liminal plane an in-between space that is between two realms, like the Balatanya teaches us in Safran Shalbenanim, the book of the in-between individual, that on the one hand we are Adam Mela Elyon, that on the one hand being a human being gives us the capacity to imitate and mimic and follow in the path of divinity, to look and be similar to that which is ideal and spiritual and good and true and light. But on the other hand, we're from the Adama, we're from the ground, we're from the groundedness of experience, from the most mundane and boring aspects of physical heaviness, that which appears to be at first glance devoid of the light of spirituality that animates it. So we're caught in between the Adama la Elyon, the replicating and mimicking of the divine, and at the same point we are Adama. We are part and parcel of the lowest aspect of existence. We are nothing, Sheba nothing. And Rav Simcha Shischa, the Rebbe of the Kutzker Rebbe, the Talmud Mufak of the Yid HaKadosh, and the Rosh HaShal basically the head of what would eventually become Polish HaChasidus, as expressed in Ger and Sakachev and Alexander and Ishbitz and Rav Tzadok and all of the wonderful teachings that we have from that base Medrash, Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa has a third interpretation of what the word Adam, Adam means. Adam doesn't only mean Adam Elyon that I will replicate the divine, it doesn't only mean Adama, that I will be stuck in creaturely experience, but it means dimyon as well. It means imagination. That if a person wants to come and understand how to bridge this paradoxical distinction between being a replication or mimicking the divine on the one hand and being stuck in the grounded, broken experience of being a human on the other, of the ideal and the real, of the profound sense of spiritual capacity, yet the profound anxiety of being stuck in physical constriction, the only path forward is going to be the dimyon, which shares an etymological root with the word adam. That is only through our imagination. <coughs> it is only through our capacity to recognize that we are simply mishalim, that we are metaphors like the Shlaha Kadosh taught us last week. That our bodies and our neshamos and our world and our experience is simply a metaphor for something larger than us, something beyond our capacity to grasp with our intellect. It is only then when we give room for our dimyon, when we give room for our neshama, when we give room for our imagination to look at that which is given to us, to look at our flesh, to look at what it means to live in a world of separation and distortion and distinction, and to not be satisfied with what is given, to not be satisfied with the end result simply being physicality that is devoid of spirituality, but rather to allow the physical expression of ourselves, the adama of ourselves, the fleshy experience of ourselves, the creaturely nature of ourselves, to allow that to become a pesach, a shar, a gate for our imaginations to enter into the supernal realms of being where we could connect to godliness. And Rav Kook and other tzaddikim speak so deeply about the capacity of the imagination to elevate a person from their rootedness in the ground and their rootedness in all things that are broken and to create a ladder for ourselves. It's Sulam, Sharosha Magiyah HaShamaya, whose head of the ladder reaches the heavens only because its bottom rests on the Aretz. That being a human being means that we have the capacity to bridge the paradoxical and binary experience of being spiritual on the one hand and being physical on the other hand, of being enlightened with the light of purity and, and, and unity on the one hand and being stuck in the darkness of duality on the other hand, that the bridge between the two of them is going to be the dimyon. Our ability to be madama davar ladavar, our ability to look at ourselves and infer 
and intuate the fact that we are simply metaphors, we are simply replications of the divine structure of the Esser Spheros through which HaKadosh Baruch Hu discloses himself in this worldliness. Now, when it comes to discussing the Esser Spheros, like we spoke about last week, the Esser Spheros, or the Kuma HaGvuli HaKlalit, like the Lashem Shavu refers to it, the general space or measurement of limitation, meaning to say the process through which HaKadosh Baruch Hu discloses himself within existence, how the infinite manifests infinitude, that entire process on high is a process of symptom, is a process of constriction. It's the way that the infinite becomes manifested with infinitude without losing its infinite nature. It's the way that God in his unity, so to speak, discloses himself within duality, within duplicity, within separation, yet somehow, some way, miraculously, manages to maintain that idealized form of unity in spite of all of the difference. To the point that a person could look at all of the prate pratyam of existence and all of their myriad forms and disclose through the proper penetrative experience the fact that everything is unified. Because in order for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to reveal himself in the world, there needed to be a constriction or a contraction or a concealment. Because the essence of godliness, so to speak, the pure light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu prior to the tzimtzum, prior to constriction, prior to limitation, was too lofty, too profound, too large, too expansive, too annihilating for there to be anything other than godliness. And the Arizal and our previous Mikubalim taught us that for the sake of creation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to conceal himself in order to reveal himself, that in order for God to become something that is speakable or sayable or graspable on any level, there needed to be a removal, so to speak, a removal that is not truly a removal, but rather that is a concealment or a hiddenness of God deciding, so to speak, to conceal his essence in order to disclose the inessential properties of himself so that there could be room for something other than himself. Now, the same thing is going to be true for the human being. If the Esser Sthiros are the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided to conceal himself in order to reveal himself, or like the Ramak says so often, and the Arizal mimics him as well in his writings on Safradit Sniusa, something that Rav Yosef Avivi points out in numerous places were the earlier writings of the Arizal, they use a Lashon of HaHe'elem Hu HaGiloy, that the concealment itself is the revelation, that paradoxically speaking, the decision of God to conceal himself and minimize himself, and limit himself, and measure himself, so that he could become speakable, or sayable, or graspable, so to speak, to human beings, there needed to be a constriction that was not for the sake of hiding, but rather for the sake of revealing. That it's only through the limitations that God, so to speak, placed upon himself, that human beings and existence can even come into being. So, ha-he'elem hu hagiloi, or really, ha-he'elem hu hagiloi, it's not even a sequential thing, it's simultaneous. That the decision of God, so to speak, to conceal himself is simultaneously the decision of God to reveal himself in a minimized form so that it is graspable to human beings and creatures. The same is going to be true for the human being. Just as God is infinite, so to speak, in his essential form, so too the human being's soul, the neshama itself, which is a chelik eloi kaimima al-mamish, like the Balatanya says in the name of the previous Mikubalim. Now, this is nothing unique about Hasidus in particular, but this is clear in the writings of the Vilna Gona and the Misnagdik Mikubalim as well. Or I shouldn't say Misnagdik Mikubalim, but the proper phrase would really be, as it's expressed in academia, at least nowadays, is Lithuanian Kabbalah, which is a legitimate term. That even within the writings of the Vilna Gona and his students, Rav Chaim Velazhiner, and the Nefesh Chaim, and Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chavar, and Rav Machamen Lobishklov, and Rav Yitzhak Kahana, and the Leshem Shmo Vachaloma, and Rav Moshe Shapiro, all of these Mikubalim, in spite of the fact that they weren't drinking from the same thread of thought as Hasidus, they're expressing the same exact thing to the point that we can say, that both the Misnagdim and Lithuanian Mikubalim, as well as the Torah of Hasidus, who are interpreting the Kabbalah of the Arizal in their own way, both are unified in their call to state that in its essence, the soul is unlimited as well. The neshama of the individual, the unconscious oceanic sense that Freud spoke about, that prior to our decision to express ourselves in particularized forms, 
Our psychic experience is one of an apophatic nature, something that cannot be spoken. That in the over-essence, in the full expression of the self, there is no room for expression. That when I am fully subsumed within myself prior to disclosure, prior to self-disclosure or prior to self-minimization, my experiences are flooded within the past, present, future sense of non-temporality, that I cannot distinguish between what happened yesterday and today or tomorrow. I cannot distinguish between my love or my fear or my compassion or the different senses that I may have as I choose to express myself, but rather I am unified within the essence of myself. And this is something that the Rebbe Rashab writes about so explicitly in his expression on the Esar Sviros, that the neshama itself is unlimited. And just as we can't say anything positive about godliness and its essence like the Rambam taught us and like the Leshem taught us in terms of Kabbalists as well, the same is true psychologically speaking. That prior to the decision of the individual to manifest in particularized forms, in particularized expressions, in our state of silence or in our infantile consciousness, all is in all. There is no distinction between love and hate. There is no ability to distinguish between the good parent and the bad parent, as the psychoanalytic thinkers would discuss in terms of developmental theory. There is no possibility for me to make a distinction between a parent that is present to me at the moment and a parent that is not present to me at the moment. And therefore, in any given moment, I have no ability to choose how I would like to feel. That in that infinite expression of the soul, the self remains in a negative psychological expression where nothing can be truly said about the self prior to the limitation of the self. We experience moments of this in deja vu and in our dreams where our minds are muddled and fuddled and things that mean one thing in our waking thoughts mean something else in that nocturnal state where images melt into one another and the distinctions and the boundaries that we utilize to create what it means to be a conscious thinking individual fall away and we are caught up in fantastical forms of non-knowing. This is something that is expressed in the writings when it comes to Purim of Adiloyada that a person can elevate themselves to a state of non-knowledge. That doesn't mean to a state of ignorance, but what it means is to elevate ourselves to that place in the soul prior to differentiation. So if the spheros were the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu manifested himself through his unlimited form to result in a finite manifestation of godliness, so to speak, the same is going to be true with regards to our psychological states, with regards to our neshamos. That is specifically through the midos, it is specifically through the spheros themselves, that which allows for storytelling, that which allows for personal narrative. Again, spheros have the same language as sipor, as a narrative, or a mispar, or a number. That is only when we begin to be able to enumerate the parts of ourselves, when we begin to convey our personal narrative, that is when we are able to disclose ourselves to someone else other than ourselves. Prior to that manifestation, prior to that decision to enter into the particularized midos of ourselves, whereas we're going to see these 10 different phenomenological lenses through which we experience life, the neshama remains ineffable. The neshama remains unified in the silence of the self where it is subsumed within the self-same consciousness of pure ego, of pure satisfaction and pure effulgence of that oceanic sense prior to any expression. So just as the spheros allowed God, so to speak, to manifest from within infinity into infinitude, where the he'elem, where the concealment allows for disclosure, the same is going to be true for the individual. And this is why when we discuss the spheros, the Zohar is typically going to use the language of eser midos or eser levushin, of 10 characteristics or 10 measurements or 10 garments. The spheros, when it comes to the psychological expression of the spheros, as disclosed in Hasidus, are typically referred to as levushin, as garments. Now, just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kavyachal needed to conceal himself in order to reveal himself, that's what garments do for us as well. Garments are modes or modalities through which we express ourselves to the world outside of ourselves by way of limitation. When I choose to cover myself up with a particular garment, when I choose to wear a particular shirt that expresses a certain interest of mine, whether it be a band or a sport or a team or anything that I'm interested in, on the one hand, the garment conceals the essence of the self, it covers up the body, 
it covers up that which is most natural. So on the one hand, it's an act of concealment. Yet on the other hand, paradoxically and simultaneously, the clothing allow me to disclose myself to somebody else. The clothing allow me to show myself to others, to people other than myself, to say in a certain level, this is what I'm interested in. Now the clothing are not the essence of the person, but the clothing allow for the essence to be disclosed. That without, without clothing, there are halachos that dictate that a person cannot look. The halacha dictating that a person cannot look when there are no clothes is representative of the, of the fact that on an ontological and philosophical level, a person cannot be seen unless they are engarbed in garments. That levushim, as Chazal tell us, are kavod. They allow us to disclose ourselves and become present to another person. Kavod and kvedus, honor and heaviness, have the same etymological root because what it means to disclose myself to another person means that I create a certain presence in that person's life. I take up space. I create weight in that person's life. I am meaningful to that person. It's only through levushim, it's only through that which conceals that I am capable of disclosing myself. It is only through the midos, it is only through the measurements that are imparted onto the unmeasurable that allow for the infinite to be disclosed in measurement. So the spheros themselves, as we're going to see, are not the essence of the self, but rather they are the ways that we disclose and express the essence of ourselves into the world. That there is a unified whole that abides within our psycho psychological states, within our psychic form at all times. That is referred to as the chaya and the yechida, the life force and the singularity of what it means to be a human being. Those parts of ourselves, those essential parts of our true selves, as psychologists would refer to it, that exists no matter what. That in spite of all of the dirtiness and all of the brokenness and all of the confusion and all of the concealment that we cover ourselves up with, there abides an irreducible essence of what it means to be a yid, what it means to be a Jew, what it means to be a human being. That within all of our confusions and our cheshkonos rabos and the myriad forms of expressions and intellectualizations and defense mechanisms that we utilize in order to disclose ourselves in the world, there abides and there exists a true singular unified sense of the self that is only disclosed in the most severe of times, that is only disclosed at the moment of mesirat nefesh, at the moment where the self decides to overcome itself by giving itself over to something beyond itself. Now, this doesn't simply mean giving one's life for Kiddush Hashem, but Mesiris Nefesh happens at every moment and every day. When a person decides to die within their hearts, like the Alexander Rebbe writes in the Yismach Moshe, that every day there's a Histarklus Belibo Adam, that every day there is a moment of giving over our lives, not in a way that is depressive or that is violent, but rather in a way that is expressive of the realization that there's something transcendent to us. The realization that human life, that creaturely life in the limited temporal framework of past, present, and future, where the anxiety of death awareness pervades and creates a deep sense of vulnerability, which makes each, each moment both powerful and frightening at the same time. It's specifically when we give ourselves over to something bigger than us, when we surrender ourselves to the flow, when we give ourselves over to that openness of vulnerability, it's specifically there that we're able to find HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to find Yichud. At that moment of Mesiris Nefesh, at that moment of letting go of the known and embracing the unknown of our lives, it's specifically there that we're capable of disclosing that true self, that essence of the Neshama, of the Chaya and the Yechida, of the singularity or the life force of the self, which is unique and unified no matter what the expressions are. But for the remainder of our lives, for all other moments where we are forced to engage in the day-to-day, -day, where we are forced to engage with human beings and engage with this worldly behavior, whether it's through professionalism or engagement in spiritual texts or philosophical explorations, that is where we must go through the midos. We must go through those particularizations of the self, those containments of the self that allow the self to be disclosed in some measurable and limited way so that it can be expressed to another person. That is why, according to the Rabbi Rashab, that is why, according to the Zohar and the Meforshim, that the Eser Spheros, that these different phenomenological moods of ourselves that we're going to discuss throughout the Shirim are seen at once as concealment of the true self, things that block out the essence of ourselves, 
but simultaneously allow for the disclosure of the self. They allow me to express myself to another person in a limited form, because prior to that concealment, there was no language that could capture my experience. So when we talk about the Esther Spheros, when we talk about the 10 different moods, the 10 different forms through which we disclose ourselves in this world, it's very important to hold on to the simple truth that what we are experiencing when we disclose ourselves to other people and when we experience psychological moods, or when we're capable of pointing out that I feel this way and not the other way, or I feel that way and not some other way, or I want to be with this thing and not the other thing, or I want that thing and not this, or my particular interests or the things that make me me in a limited way, all of that are garments, are levushim of the self, things that cover over the essence of the self and at once reveal the essence of the self. And we learn all of this simply by mimicking the behavior of divinity, so to speak, in the sense that HaKadosh Baruch Hu needed these ten limiting agents, needed these ten spheros, Kav in order to disclose himself. And Mahu Af'ata, just as divinity needs concealments for the sake of disclosure, the human being needs concealments for the sake of disclosure as well. Now, Throughout this year, we're going to be discussing each and every one of the spheros in their particularized form, and each shear is going to have a different emphasis on that particular sphere that we've been discussing. But as we saw last week, the interconnectivity or the holographic reality of the spherotic makeup, which teaches us that in spite of the fact that I am only touching a part of the spheros right now, that I'm only engaged in one particular sphero, in essence, if I am capable of descending into the interiority of that sphera, I would come to recognize that I am touching the all. That when it comes to unity, when it comes to the structure of unity, each part contains within itself the all. And to understand the philosophical implications of this, the sphera, the shiram on the Lashem Shavuva Chaloma, in particular the last year, which is entitled The Whole and the Part, is highly instructive. Now, even though we're going to be discussing the myriad spheros, each sphera in its individual form, it's very important to understand that the spheros themselves are not simply particularized points that remain separate from one another, but rather the spheros are parts that comprise a whole that are greater than the sum of their selves. That as we're going to see Bezras Hashem after our shiram on the spheros, there's a concept called partsuf. Now, a partsif or a configuration is the fullness of the ten spheros in their interconnectivity, something that the Arizal came and expressed after the teachings of the Ramak, to the point that Rav Moshe Kordavaro, whose Kabbalah we're working on in this series of Shirim, is referred to as Olam Hanakudo, so the world of points, where each point and each sphero seems disparate and separate from itself and from its others, the Arizal came to reveal something called the Partsuf, or the Chachmasa Partsuf, or the wisdom of the configuration, which comes to show us how all disparate parts, in fact, form a unity that is greater than the sum total of its parts. Now, although we're not discussing the Arizal very much in the Shiram, and we're focusing much more on the particularized form of the Spheros, it's important to understand that even when we discuss the Spheros and their individualized separateness, they all form a unified whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. That the Esser Spheros are not ten separate entities, like we discussed last week, but rather they are ten parts of the same expression. They are ten points within the expression of divinity within this world, and they are ten forms of psychological modes through which we are capable of disclosing the essence of ourselves to other people. Now what that means is that in each individual, each human being is a kumashlema. Each human being is a, a full expression, meaning to say that everything in existence, especially the human being, contains within itself the entirety. Now, in spite of the fact that everything is comprised of the entirety, there's also going to be different emphases. So that if a person is stricter, or a person is more harsh, for example, it can be said that they are a manifestation of gvura, of severity and strength and the power of overcoming. And that's not coming to negate from that person all of the other spheros and to claim, God forbid, that all that person is, is the expression of the sphere of gvura but rather that all of the ten spheros within that individual, from Kesser down to Malchus, are expressive of the modality of Gvura. 
not to say that a person is only Gevura, God forbid, but that all 10 strengths of that person seem to lean themselves toward Gevura. So that the human being, in spite of the fact that we all have differentiated modes of expressing ourselves to the world around us and to ourselves and to God, so to speak, it's not that we only remain in that singular form of expression, but rather that all of the differentiated parts of ourselves, all of the differentiated modes of our expression, all of the esoteros within ourselves are expressive of that mode of experience. So that we are not simply one stira amongst ten, but everything contains within itself all ten spheros, which can and will express themselves in one particular direction. Now, when it comes to expressing the framework or the makeup of the ten spheros or the esser spheros as they are embodied within the human being, the Zohar Akadosh and the Arizal and the Rashash and all the different Mikubalim express very clearly, especially based on the Pesach Eliyahu, the Hakdama of Eliyahu Anavi to the Ten Sviros, which are very often printed in the beginning of the Sidurim, we find that there, are, there is a way to anatomically look at the Sviros and see them within each and every individual. So that what we're truly saying is that each person contains within themselves the entirety of the ten spheros. Now, the way that this is typically disclosed, and here what we're going to look at is a brief summary of the spheros in their generalized and unified form as a preparation for ourselves to begin to discuss each of the spheros in their particularized form. That keser, as we're going to see, is going to be represented by the cranium, according to the Zohar. The cranium or kesser is representative of the super logical will, the desire of the individual, the unconscious part of the individual prior to its manifestation within idealized thinking and within the intellectual processes of the mind. And we're going to discuss kesser at length next week, Bezra Sashem. But suffice it to say that Kesser is that point of connection, that interface between the ineffable and that which is capable of being expressed in logic. That the Kesser is the cranium, it represents the center brain, it represents the midbrain or the pineal gland, wherein an individual is fully unified with their creator. Now again, we're not discussing actual material connections here. It's very important not to, God forbid, fall into the mistake of Hagshama. I'm not claiming that the brain contains the kesser within it, God forbid, but rather when we look at our bodies of mi basari echze eloikai, it's capable of finding examples or mashalim like the Shlag Kadosh taught us last week to the Esser Sviros. So the cranium is going to be representative of kesser, that which surrounds the head. The right brain on the right side of things, which was representative of expansivity and flowing kindness that right or the Yad Yamin is always associated with things that are expressive, what we're going to find is Chachma. Now Chachma can be identified in the right brain as those collective understandings, those totalitized forms of understanding where we have a general sense of the entirety of the picture, yet we're incapable of discerning any details of the picture. Chachma is the ability to see something from afar and grasp a full picture of the thing, that initial burst of enthusiasm within the mind, that's going to be associated in the right brain of Chachma. The left brain is going to be associated with Bina. Bina is understanding, and because it's on the left side, it's going to be associated with severity and constriction. If the right hand is representative of grace and expressivity, as we're going to see, the left hand and the left side of things, or the Tzad Smol, is going to be associated with constriction and limitation. So we have Kesser in the middle, we have Chachma on the right side and we have Bina on the left side. Now, after we've gone through those intellectual processes, we now transcend, now, we now descend rather from the realm of the mind into the realm of the emotionally lived body. And here we're going to have the same breakup of middle, right, and left. Middle representing a synthesis of the two, the right representing the expressivity of something, and the left representing the constriction of something. Now, the right arm is going to be associated with chesed. Chesed is associated with expression, with loving kindness, with movement outwards, with the attempt to integrate myself with things other than myself. Gvura, on the other hand, is going to be the left arm, which is going to be constrictive which is going to be my ability to measure things and withhold things and say, Ad kan tavo. 
And the synthesis of the two of those represented by the body itself is going to be something we refer to as teferet. Teferet is going to be the synthesis of expressivity and constriction, and the perfect unity of those two is going to manifest in beauty, in something being perfect. When there's a proper balance between what is here and what is absent, between the white fire and the black fire of the letters that comprise the Sefer Torah, that is what gives birth to beauty. Now, in that triadic structure of chesed, gvur, and teferes, we're still stuck within the emotional state of experience. It's prior to manifestation. If what we have in the keser, chachma, and bina of the middle, the right, and the left is the muskal, is the intellectual properties of the individual, what we have in the chesed, gvur, and teferes, the middle, right, and left of the individual is going to be the second triad in the spheros. That's going to be referred to as the murgash, as the emotional state of an individual, as the midos, as something that is still lived internally, that emotional state, that intense, psychologically lived place where we feel things very deeply prior to full expression. Now the third and final triadic structure of the spheros are again going to mimic the prior two in the sense that they're comprised in the triadic form of middle, right, and left. And on the right side, we're going to have Netzach. Netzach is victory, overcoming, and endurance. It's the ability of chesed to fully express itself, that decision to connect to the things that I truly want to connect to. Contrary to that, Netzach is going to be on the left side, the constrictive form of hod, the constrictive form of grandeur, or the ability to overcome my base natures. And in the middle, corresponding to the Amuda de Emtsiusa, the middle pillar, which unifies the two disparate poles, following Keser and following Teferis, is going to be the Mida of Yesod, the Mida of foundation, that which has the ability to connect to that which is outside of me, that which is the ability to connect to the essence of things, the foundation of what I am. And finally, the tenth sphere is going to be Malchus. Now, Malchus, as we're going to see, is going to need a full explication and a full expression of itself. But suffice it to say that Malchus is the culmination of all of these processes, from Keser down to Yesod, from the initial desire, that unfathomable desire within the deep psyche of the self, as we're going to see, prior and through and until its manifestation in the Yesod itself, in the foundation of what it means to exist in this world, all of that in its entirety is going to manifest in something we call malchus, which is the presence of everything in its totality. It is something that on the one hand lacks any particularized identifiable traits of itself, but on the other hand it is what allows for the full expression of things. Now these ten spheros, these ten strengths of the soul, as we see, are representative of a kumashlema, of a unified whole, where each part is connected to itself. So everything and every person in particular contains within themselves this unity of the ten spheros. The Magad of Mezrich is quoted by the Balatanya in Igros Kodesh and Igeras Tesvav. And Rav Moshe Shatz explains it very clearly as well in his new Sefer, Tarshish Shom V'Yishpe, in the name of a Talmud of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Meberdichov, that these ten spheros can see, be seen as expressing themselves in every process that we go through. And the analogy that is given for the ten spheros beyond the physical form of the embodied experience is going to be the process of architecturally deciding to build a house. Now very briefly, and again because we're simply giving a brief overview here, when we have the initial will, the desire to create something, the desire to build a house, that's going to be representative of the keser itself. When I decide to see the house in its totality, to see the end result in my mind initially, what's referred to as the end result in the initial emergence of the mind, that's going to be the chachma. That's when I see the full picture of the house, when I can imagine it in its finished state prior to its process. The bina, on the other hand, is going to be the process through which I now try and decide and discern within my mind the particular steps that need to be taken where I take that general idea of the house that originated within the unfathomable will of wanting to create a house. Now, Bina is the process of discerning the specific steps and separating each and every part of that process intellectually of what actually needs to be done. And I'm deliberately leaving out Das because there's going to be sheer at the end of this series on Das itself. Chesed is the decision to now actively go and build that house. The expressivity of myself, the decision to buy all of the materials that I need, 
to go crazy with all of my plans and my expenditures and in deciding what the house needs to look like. Gevura is when I meet that expression of what I want this house to look like with the realization of the limitations of the square footage that I have, of my limited amount of money that I can spend on this house. So my initial desire of chesed to give everything for this house is now met with the gvura of constrictive reality, which says, no, you can only do this much. When those two op- oppositional traits are unified, it creates and results in the teferis of the house, the beauty of the house and the way that it's actually supposed to look. That's when I come up with the blueprints of things. That is an ichor in the process of the eser spheros. Now I begin to move into the practical stage of things. Netzach is when I overcome my miserly nature and I decide to buy the materials and I decide to pay for the furniture and I decide to pay for the functionality of the house. Hod is when I overcome some of those base desires and I say that these are the things that I'm practically going to minimize myself on. I'm not going to get the extra room. I'm not going to spend the extra money on the building of the house. The asod is how the house finally comes out in its foundational form. After all of these processes of intellectualizing and processing emotionally what this house is going to look like, this is where the essential nature of the house is expressed, and Malchus is going to be the full culmination of the house. Malchus is going to be the fullness of the expression of that process of the Esser Spheros. So the purpose of this year really is to show that the entirety of the Esser Spheros are part and parcel of a singular process wherein the self is capable of disclosing itself. And this disclosure of the self, as we said, is actually a limitation of the essence of ourselves for the sake of disclosing ourselves. Because prior to that decision to create the house, prior to that unfathomable will that ascended within the cranial space of the mind, within that unreasonable place that is devoid of any intellectual process, prior to that manifestation, the self exists in its infinitude. The self exists in its purified form and its essential form prior to any distinction and distortion of what it means to live in this world. But as we see, it is specifically when we decide to transition from that unlimited state into the state of finitude, when we allow for Kesar to fully manifest itself in Malchus, when we allow for the ideal to manifest itself in the real, when we allow for unity to descend into disunity for the sake of disclosing a deeper level of unity, whereby we're able to adorn perfection by showing that perfection exists within imperfection as well, it is specifically there that we're capable of disclosing ourselves in a full mode of disclosure. And just like God discloses himself, so to speak, in this way, the human being is also going to disclose themselves in this way. Next week, Be'ezras Hashem, what we're going to be discussing is we're going to start with a discussion on the Sira of Keser. We're going to discuss very briefly the breakup of the Ten Spheros into two modes. The original modes of Keser, Chachma, and Bina, which are going to be seen as fully transcendent modes of Mochin, and the seven lower Spheros from Chesed to Malchus, which are going to be expressive of the Midos, of things that can be grasped in this world. But as we're going to see Kesser, in spite of its transcendental nature, something that is devoid of capturing through speech or minimization, it's an infinitude that is capable of being captured by the finite. It is what philosophers would refer to as an imminent transcendence, a sense of transcendence, a sense of something being much larger than us, yet still being capable of being aware of the fact that it's larger than us. And we're going to see how the different myriad expressions of Kesser, of Ta'anug, of pleasure and desire and will and amuna and faith, are going to be part and parcel of the same expression of the first Svira in the chain of the Sviros until we come to Malchus, which is the fullest expression of the human being within this world.